You're listening to Sermon Audio from Jerusalem Church, an independent Reformed church in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Our expository preaching ministry is devoted to proclaiming the law and the gospel for the glory of God and the salvation, growth, and comfort of Christ's church. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at JerusalemChurch.net. Here's a message that we hope strengthens your faith and comforts your soul. In Psalm 40, David rejoiced in God's unrestrained mercy and gracious preservation. He sang, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. And yet, David keenly sensed the evil around him, the presence of evil around him, and even the presence of sin inside of him. He sang, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Evil around him and evil inside him drove David to cry out to God for help. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And in the last line of his song, David acknowledged his own impoverished spirit as well as the loving interest of his God. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. And we understand this too. As we live in the last days, uh, what Paul described in 2 Timothy 3 is all too familiar for us. Paul said, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. You encounter that every day at school, at work, in your community, in your family, in entertainment, in the news, and sadly, you experience it sometimes in the church. Evils encompass you beyond number. You also know that your heart fails you. You said in Matthew 15, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Those things are in you and in me. Your troubles can then be very overwhelming. You are actually poor and needy. You need gospel comfort and strength in order to endure. Sometimes you cry out to God and it seems as if he takes no interest in your afflictions as if he's not actually going to do anything, going to help you. Me too. But our feelings and our thoughts are often contrary to the gospel, which says that the Lord takes thought for you, his beloved. And he is your help, and he is your deliverer. It's easy to forget that the, that the Lord's heart is inclined to you, and that the Lord will not restrain his mercy from you. 
Our tribulations sometimes divert us from Christ's tender voice of truth and of comfort. Peter talked about casting our anxieties on God. Well, why would we do that? Well, Peter says, because God cares for us. You will benefit greatly when you believe that. As you face difficulties, will the gospel help you if you don't trust Christ? Will the law help you if you don't trust Christ? Will God's providence be a comfort for you if you don't trust Christ? Through faith in Christ, through confidence in the gospel, you receive the strength and comfort you need to gladly obey Christ as you endure tribulation. And so my encouragement for you this morning is simply this. By trusting in Christ's word, you are prepared for tribulation, protected against deception, and preserved by God's providence during these last days. We need this gospel So then, Christ's word is sufficient for your biggest questions and troubles. Jesus comforted his disciples with his sufficient word in Matthew 24 and 25. He told them in chapter 23, you have one teacher. You have one instructor, the Christ. As their preeminent prophet and teacher, he would help them persevere through tribulation. His word is his shepherding care. His disciples had big questions. He had told them back in chapter 19 that they would rule with him in the new world. And so when he spoke of the destruction of the temple and tribulation, they naturally thought the destruction of the temple was the end. They asked him when it would all go down. And so knowing their misconceptions, Jesus guarded them against confusion, disappointment, and hopelessness by answering their questions and correcting their misinformed eschatology. Jesus didn't give exact dates, times, but he did differentiate the timing of the events. If you scan over Matthew 24, you'll see that Jesus addressed the 12 as you 21 times, most times to describe events and tribulation that they would experience. But you'll, know, you'll also notice that Jesus didn't say you when he described his return. For example, in verses 23 through 26, Jesus warned the 12 about false Christ, false prophets, and, and uh, false reports of his return. He then told them not, not to believe it all. But when talking of his return, he didn't use the word you. In Luke 21, in Mark 13, Jesus said, they will see. He spoke of his return in a general way, a distant way, whereas other things uh, were looming. As Jesus spoke of his return, his emphasis uh, was not on them seeing it, but on them being ready for it, being faithful until his return. My point is that if we pay close attention to what Uh, When Jesus uses you with his disciples, and if we compare Matthew with Mark and Luke, we can differentiate between the events that happened in the first century, some of which are still happening today, from the return of Christ, which is yet to come at an undiscernible point in the future. And what I want you to see in the text is how lovingly, 
sufficiently, Jesus answered their big questions and readied them for tribulation, or we could say trouble. His word is what they needed to endure to the end. His word and his grace were sufficient for their biggest questions and their biggest troubles. Now, athletes, they don't know exactly what's going to unfold in the game. They don't know exactly what's coming. Every game is different. Every game brings these unique circumstances, okay? The coach doesn't use the practice time to explain every conceivable event that could happen in a game. That's not how they use their time. The coach's goal is to actually equip his team to build into them wisdom and skill and teamwork and tenacity so that as the game unfolds, they're able to effectively react and respond to the events of the game. Jesus didn't reveal to his disciples all there was to know about the forthcoming events. He gave them sufficient truth to help them endure to the end. Neither does Jesus reveal to you all the different details of your life. Instead, Jesus gives you his word, which is sufficient for your biggest questions and your biggest troubles. Christ knows what you need to endure tribulation and he gives you what you need in his word. Dear church, Christ's word is sufficient for your biggest questions and troubles. By trusting in Christ's word, you are prepared for whatever tribulation you face. Why does your good shepherd give you his word? Because it's sufficient to get you to the end. How wise it would be for you to receive it, to trust in it, to find comfort in it. Christ's word prepares you for the tribulation that you face in these last days. A striking feature of Matthew 24 is how lovingly and effectively Christ prepared his disciples for tribulation. Not only did he tell them uh, what was coming, he told them how to respond. Verse 15 is key. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand Now, they would see the abomination of desolation, and his word would help them respond to it and process it. The word so connects verse 15 back to the preceding verses which describe tribulation that they'd endure. With some variation in wording, Daniel refers to the abomination of desolation multiple times in his prophecy, chapters 8, 9, 11, and 12. Now, the disciples assumed that that had already happened. That prophecy had been fulfilled. See, about 200 years prior, during the uh, Maccabean Wars, Antiochus Epiphanes attacked Jerusalem and did horrible things to the Jews and to the temple. 1 Maccabees 1, 41 through 61 describes it. It was a devastating time for Israel. Two horrific things Antiochus Epiphanes did were to sacrifice an unclean pig on the temple's altar and and build a pagan statue in the holy place. For, For Jews and for the disciples in the first century, that was the abomination of desolation of which Daniel spoke. But Jesus helped his disciples understand that Daniel was prophesying something in their own day, in their own time. 
That little interjection, let the reader understand, meant let the reader of Daniel understand that Daniel's prophecy was only partially fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes, but would soon be entirely fulfilled in the Roman conquest of Jerusalem. What was the abomination of desolation that Daniel prophesied? Well, Luke uh, gives us helpful insights into that question. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 21, listen carefully, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation, same word in Matthew, has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it, meaning enter Jerusalem, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Wrath against this people. Jesus had just said divine judgment would come against Israel in Matthew 23. And what Jesus said next is fascinating. He said this, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. About 37 years after Jesus said this, pagans arrived with all of their pagan symbols and military regalia and camped on the Mount of Olives. Three days before the Passover, when Jerusalem was absolutely packed with Jews, Pagans marched into Jerusalem. In time, they plundered the temple. Titus made his own sacrifices to pagan gods in the temple. Josephus records that a, a Roman soldier threw a torch against the beautiful tapestries of the temple and started a fire that scorched the temple to the ground. The Romans didn't have enough water to, to quench the fire. The Talmud records that the temple burned for a day and a half. Thousands of Jews burned with the temple. Thousands of Jews hopelessly committed suicide. Many Jewish warriors that were defending the temple hopelessly cast themselves into the fire, into the flames, concluding that if the temple was being destroyed, the Jewish people were being destroyed. It was nothing less than sheer horror for the Jewish people. They were watching their nation and watching their religion burn to the ground. It was worse for them than anything before it. And Jesus said in verses 21 and 22, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. God could have rightly decreed the complete and utter destruction of the Jewish people. But in his divine mercy and compassion, he shortened the tribulation to save his beloved elect. His church, which at that point was predominantly Jewish. The abomination of desolation was the horrific Roman siege of Jerusalem. The abomination of desolation of which Daniel prophesied happened about 37 years after Jesus prepared his disciples for it. The new covenant had truly dawned. 
Not only did Jesus describe the events for his disciples, he lovingly taught them then how to respond. He gave them an escape plan. Kids, this is cool, kind of like spy type of stuff. I mean, not really, but they were escaping. This is an escape plan that God had given, that Christ had given them, and they were prepared for it because he loves his church. When the Roman army marched to attack, verses 16 through 19, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down and take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. What did he mean? When you see the Romans coming, get out of Dodge. Pull, pull a Von Trapp family singers and head into the mountains. I mean, get out of there, people. Jesus even thought at that moment, thought of pregnant women, thought of nursing babies, little covenant children, mothers and their covenant children in the church because their escape, it would be really difficult at that time. What compassion. Jesus was clearly giving his disciples an escape plan to preserve their lives. Uh, Believers trusting in Christ's word knew exactly what to do to avoid death when the Romans came to destroy. They, They were not to flock into Jerusalem. They were not to join the Jewish resistance by taking up arms against the Romans to defend the temple. They were not to do that. They would die if they did that. God was bringing judgment upon Israel and so trusting Christ's word meant fleeing God's judgment and death in Jerusalem. And I think at this point, what Jesus later tells Pilate applies here in principle. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus told them when and how to escape. Can you even imagine What would have happened to Jewish believers had Christ not taught them what to do beforehand? Imagine the church taking refuge. They're fleeing into the city. They're fleeing to the temple because that's what they knew instead of fleeing according to Christ's word. Now, what can we gather from all this? Well, Jesus greatly prepared his disciples to endure great tribulation Furthermore, Jesus deeply cared for them, body and soul. As they trusted and as they obeyed the word of Christ, even the readers of Matthew's gospel written before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, Jesus saved their lives because he loved them. Imagine how hopeless and anxious and confused and absolutely miserable the disciples would have been had Jesus not prepared them for the abomination of desolation. But he taught them what to do. Christ's word guided believers to safety in the mountains. And interestingly, uh, the late 3rd century and early 4th century historian Eusebius records that Christians did actually flee Jerusalem when the Romans attacked. They were preserved because they trusted and obeyed Christ's word. What comfort might you draw from this? First, The Lord deeply cares about your well-being. He does. And he's 
He's deeply committed to taking care of you. And second, Christ gives you his word, scripture, to prepare you for the tribulation that you face in these last days. His word sets expectations and instructs you in how to best respond to tribulation. We will not be helped by Christ's word if we do not trust and obey Christ's word. Brothers and sisters, by trusting in Christ's word, you are prepared for tribulation, protected against deception, and preserved by God's providence during these last days. Tucked in these verses is a tender encouragement. Christ's word encourages you to pray amidst tribulation and comforts you with the promise of answered prayer. Consider verse 20 carefully. Jesus told them, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. The winter was cold, rainy, and just gross. I mean, sloppy mess, okay? And maybe they'd have to, if it came in the wintertime, cross some high water. Imagine pregnant women crossing high water to escape. The Sabbath then would make it even more difficult to escape. He was thinking of their well-being. He exhorted them to pray, to depend upon God in great tribulation. Horrible things were, were to happen, but God would be with them. And so he excited them to prayer. He pointed them to what would help them preserve uh, persevere rather through tribulation, communing with God in prayer would help them persevere. They needed to ask for God's grace and ask for his mercy and ask for his spirit at this time. Now I find this, this little historic detail fascinating. The siege of Jerusalem happened in the spring. In the spring. So I suspect that Jesus had them pray that their escape wouldn't happen in the winter in order to show them God's tender mercies through answered prayer. It seems Jesus led them into answered prayer like he wanted to show them very practically the mercies of God in their worst days. They prayed and then they escaped in the spring. We need this gospel. Think back to what Jesus told the 12 in Matthew 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Prayer, folks, is a powerful tool that God uses to strengthen your faith. All right, as you depend on God in prayer, God gives you tender mercy to endure what he calls you to endure, brothers and sisters, by trusting in Christ's word and depending upon God in prayer, you're prepared for tribulation, prepared for what you will, will face. You're protected against deceit and deception in the world, and you are preserved by God's providence in these last days. As we trust Christ's word, and, and by word I'm, I'm talking about scripture, and as we depend upon God in prayer, God grants us knowledge and wisdom and discernment for the tribulation that we experience in this life. Faith fortifies steadfastness. Through faith, Christ's word uh, gives us the discernment that we need. Christ's word protects you against the deceptions of false Christs, false prophets, and bad theology. 
Jesus was entirely committed to keeping his disciples safe and close to himself to protect them against deception. He gave them his word, which equipped them with knowledge and wisdom and discernment. He told them in verses 23 through 26, that if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner room, do not believe it. He trained them in what not to do when imposters came. He trained them in how to keep their excitement and their expectations in check. I think they would have wanted him to come back, and so they hear a report, oh, I'm going out to go, he's come. Now he prepared them for that. Guard the expectations there. If Jesus had not lovingly taught them about false Christs and false prophets, they would have been very confused when they came and perhaps led away from him and led away from his teaching. His word is protection against gullibility. Josephus wrote an account of an Egyptian false prophet who amassed 30,000 followers and led them to the Mount of Olives to attack Jerusalem. They were killed and imprisoned, but the false prophet himself uh, escaped. The disciples, they just wouldn't get involved in those shenanigans. Not going to go there because Christ's word gave them discernment. Jesus also answered his disciples' questions. Now, he didn't tell them exactly when he would return, but he did tell them that his return would not be secret. It would be absolutely unmistakable. Look at verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. They wanted wanted to know what the sign would be of his coming. He, He explained the birth pains, right, but never told them an exact time. What he did say was that his coming would be unmistakable and awesome, awesome. Now, some people would fall away because why? Because they didn't trust the word of Christ. But but those who trusted and obeyed Christ's word would be protected against soul-destroying error and apostasy, and Christ would save them in the end. The one who endures to the end will be saved. He gave them the means of endurance, his word, his word. God's precious elect are secure in his grace and in his spirit, and the precious gift of his word holds them secure as they trust and obey. I love watching magicians. Uh, The illusions that they do, it's just absolutely stunning. Sleight of hand stuff, absolutely love it. I could uh, watch that stuff all the time. And and so we think when we see a, a really good magician, what? Blowing my mind right now. How on earth did, did they do that? That is amazing. I want to see that again. Uh, but we do watch magicians, right, with a certain skepticism. A certain skepticism because we know a little bit about magic. We know a little bit about how illusion and sleight of hand works. So we're prepared for it. Now, maybe we've seen a YouTube video that will expose or show us exactly how that uh, one illusion was done. Now, think about someone who does not know anything about magic and sees something like that. They might foolishly assume that this is actual you know, paranormal activity here. They might be just floored and be easily duped. 
Christ's word exposes the deception of false Christs, false prophets, and bad theology. Christ's word is protection against being shown a fool in the end. Why do so many people flock to cult leaders and so-called faith healers, false prophets leading large churches and movements, right? And, and humanistic counselors, which are a dime a dozen, who mislead them with false thinking. It's because they have so little knowledge of and trust in Christ's word. And therefore, they, they have so little wisdom and discernment. They hunger for something more than Christ's word, his authoritative word. They crave the high of miracles and signs and wonders and novel ideas to the point that Christ's word seems to them quite boring or quite restrictive or insufficient. Their lack of confidence and trust in Christ's word leaves them open to deception and open to apostasy. Christ's word protected his disciples. It protected Matthew's readers. It's been protecting the church through the centuries. It will protect you if you know it and you believe it. Saints, by trusting in Christ's word, you are prepared for the tribulation that you will face and protected against deception. Charlatans coming in the name of Jesus. You'll know, you'll be able to detect it. You'll be able to say, that doesn't sound right. That's not from him. He'll build in you discernment. False Christ, false prophets, and bad theology can be oh so convincing. That's why people go after it, because it sounds half right, and they can't discern the stuff that's wrong. What will protect your mind from error? What will protect your heart from error? Christ will. But how will Christ, your good shepherd, do that? Through his precious word. He gives you grace, wisdom, discernment, and protection through faith in his word, through confidence in his word. Trust his word. Find discernment in his word. Find safety in his word. Find comfort in his word. There's also great assurance and comfort found in God's providence as we endure tribulation in these days. Christ's word assures and comforts you that God's providence will preserve you during these last days. I think God's providence is throughout this chapter. God's providence would uphold the disciples and would uphold the entire church and secure them as they trusted and followed Christ's word. Look again at uh, verses 21 and 22. God's providence restricted the extent of the tribulation, thus contributing to the salvation of the elect. He preserved his beloved church. I think God's providence is seen in verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. He's warning, he's comforting. And Calvin, I find this interesting, stated verse 24 like this, so that even the elect, if it were possible, will be led into error. That's the sense of it, I think. It seems as if Jesus implied here that there is absolutely no possibility that the elect will be led astray. In John 10, what did Jesus teach 
his disciples. How did he comfort them? He, he taught, they were listening, and he, he, he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In verse 25, Jesus said, see, I have told you beforehand. And in Mark, it goes like this, but be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. He told them beforehand to reveal to them God's providential care that went with them into the future. They knew God would show up and protect them even then. His word would guide them even after he left. Isn't it true that we endure sorrow, suffering, and tribulation with much greater hope and much greater confidence when we believe Christ will work all things together for our good in the end. Isn't that true? Puts a little different spin, allows us to trust a little differently. If we're engrossed in a suspenseful book or movie, you, you know how it is, your emotions can be absolutely all over the place, up and down as they take you through the contours of this story that's unfolding before you. And so you're all over the place, you don't know what's coming, but as you read that book or as you watch that movie a second time, what happens to your emotions? They're not all over the place anymore, why? Because you know where the story is going. You know those details. God's providence is a mountain of unshakable comfort for you to stand on. To know that God is upholding the entire universe by his almighty power and governing all things to work them for your good is an immense comfort when you believe it. Immense. For your soul, as you face these great difficulties, he's working, he's bringing it around for your good in the end to know that Christ will care for you until the end, that he will preserve you until the end, that in the end you will be glorified with him is immense comfort when you trust Christ. Now, much of what Jesus said in Matthew 24, this is what makes texts like this particularly difficult, is still happening today. Not everything, but much of it is still happening today. We look back at the abomination of desolation in all of its judgment, in all of its horror, but there's still tribulation for the church today. It's still going on. There are still false Christs. There are still false prophets. There's still soul-destroying theology in the church. The church is still experiencing great persecution around the globe. There are organizations that tell you about it. Natural disasters continue to devastate and in some places wreck churches in that area. Physically, wreck them. But none of this should surprise you. None of this should devastate you. Because you have Christ's word. And the promise of the gospel. And the promise of God's providence. Fear not. Fret not, forget not. Christ's word assures and comforts you that God's providence will preserve you during these last days by trusting in Christ's word, by depending upon God in prayer. You are prepared for tribulation, protected against deception, and preserved by God's providence until the very end. Now, I don't think Christ's words to his disciples were irrelevant or were intended exclusively for some other audience 
way in the distant future. With his word, Jesus equipped his disciples for what God called them to endure in these last days. And with his word, dear brothers and sisters, Jesus is equipping you for what he calls you to endure in these last days. I don't think Jesus taught these things to scare the church. I don't think he taught these things to excite the church to great speculation about the end times. Speculation that often leads people away from comfort. Speculation that often leads people away from Christ. Jesus gave these words to equip and comfort his church amidst the tribulation of the last days as they await his return. Christ's word assures and comforts you that Christ will return in unmistakable glory to consummate his kingdom for your eternal good. He gave them no date or time. Jesus will be explicit about that later in verse 36. But what Jesus did reveal to them was an immense comfort to them. Verses 27 and 28. For, that little word connects verse 27 to the preceding verses which explain how Jesus will not return. For, as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Once again, he identified himself as the Christ. Now, I love to see lightning flash in the sky uh, and fill the nighttime sky with light. Uh, It's unmistakable. And if there's a loud boom or crash of the thunder, even better. Love that. Uh, mesmerizing, and it rattles you as you're, as you're it's, it's kind of scary, but it's beautiful all at once. And Christ's return, folks, it's not going to be inconspicuous. It will be unmistakable, and it will be absolutely stunning. He came in humility at his first advent. He will come in glory at his second advent. And this simple truth protected the disciples against all these little private reports of Christ's coming. And against believing that the end of the world is coming uh, and the kingdom is coming at the destruction of the temple. Here he is. No, that's not him. Oh, there he is. No, 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 that's not him either. No. Come see him. He's out in the wilderness. No, I don't think so. I have better things to do. Oh, no, but you're going to miss him. He's in the inner room. No, I don't think I'm going to come. I know how he's going to return. He isn't there in those places. He gave them his word within which was the gift of discernment. He held them close with his word. Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Unmistakable. Unmistakable. Unmistakable glory and beauty that is stunning. None will miss it. None will question it. That's our comfort. Dear saints, because when Christ comes to judge the living and the dead, our justification will be confirmed and he will take us with himself into eternal glory. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Glorified. The day is coming. I am not sure what verse 28 means. (laughs) What on earth? Um, it could refer to God's judgment upon Israel through the Romans who brought death and destruction to a dead and lifeless nation that broke covenant with God. Might mean that. It may refer to the unmistakable nature of Christ's parousia. Could mean that. 
It may refer to believers gathering to Christ. I am not sure. That's tricky for a, for a preacher. What I am sure of this of is this. Christ's word assures and comforts you that Christ will return in unmistakable glory to consummate his kingdom for your eternal good. And he has graciously given you all that you need to endure to the end. Trust his word. That much I know is true. Now, I think many discussions and arguments today about eschatology are missing something. The beauty, comfort, and joy of Christ's return. People are infatuated by details and charts and current events that they speculate are fulfilled prophecy. But to what end? To what end? Eschatology is important, dear saints. We ought to think carefully and clearly about the end times, yet we must never lose sight of the promise of our Savior, the comfort of our Savior, the joy of our Savior's return. Christ's parousia will be a day of great glory and miraculous resurrection to eternal life for God's elect, for his beloved church. So as you think about eschatology and process the details, as you experience tribulation in these last days, as you struggle against your sworn enemies, as you strive to serve Christ until his return, as you anticipate his glorious return, my encouragement to you is simply this. By trusting in Christ's word, you are prepared for tribulation, protected against deception, and preserved by God's providence during these last days. Find your comfort in the sufficiency of Christ's word, in the sufficiency of Christ's promises, in the sufficiency of Christ's gospel. Believe the gospel and obey Christ's commands as you wait his return. Remember, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the what? Through the word of Christ. Through faith alone in Christ and his word alone, Christ will preserve you to the very end.